Kia ora and welcome to the Marlborough Book Festival podcast, the place where you can hear writers talk about their work, their lives and the inspiration behind their writing. I'm Sonia, the chair of the committee. The 2023 Marlborough Book Festival was a fantastic weekend and we are looking forward to sharing the recordings with you very soon. For now, enjoy this great session from the 2022 Book Festival. Tēnā koutou katoa, ko tāni bila ahau. Welcome to this session at this wonderful Marlborough Book Festival of 2022. My guest today is the wonderful Rebecca K. Riley, and her book is Greta and Valden. So I kept hearing about this book. It was on the radio. People were talking about it. I went to book club. They were talking about it. There's this report that I get at the library and it's like there are heaps of reserves on this book you need to buy extra copies so I had to buy extra copies of this <laughs> Greta and Valve and it was coming up everywhere it was it was just crazy and it was funny because I remember listening to a a review from Catherine Robertson I think on the national radio and she said it must I don't know if it was it can't have been Christmas time because it must have been after that and she said Ah, oh, you know, they were like, what's the book that everyone needs to read? And she was like, oh, Greta and Belden. And she said, oh, when everyone come, anyone comes into the store and they say, what, what should I read or what should I give? I just give them, I just put it into their, I thrust it into their, into their hands because that's the book um, that they need to read this year. Um, they called it an antidote uh, to these COVID times. I'm pretty sure that's what she said, but I might be, I'm sure I'm paraphrasing. So I read it. I started reading and I couldn't stop. I took to my bed, I closed the door. It doesn't take much for me to turn off the phone, so I shouldn't say that. But I escaped into the world of quirky, lovable Valden and his brave, irrepressible little sister. She is a little sister, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greta. That's correct. <laughs> The book is about love and relationships, how they're messy and intertwining and sometimes they don't work out. I laughed and I laughed and then I cried and then I laughed some more and then I thought, this is one of those books. It's like nothing I've ever read before and it also has appeal for everyone, anyone can read this book and enjoy it. It doesn't have, it's what I kind of sometimes call genre-defying, like I can't place it, I can't put it um, into a hole, into a pigeonhole. Its author, Rebecca K. Riley, has joined us today to talk about it. Kia ora and welcome, oh, Rebecca. Thank you. Oh, so good to see you. What a ride this must have been. Yeah, I mean, especially because, um, I mean, my, the book came out in May and then it was pretty quiet because I didn't, you know, it's a debut, I didn't have like any reputation or anything. And then um, I turned 30 on the 16th of August last year and then on the 17th we got locked down for four months. Mm. And so I was mainly in my house and then kind of like receiving this ongoing reception, like both positive and negative, without ever kind of moving or <laughs> going anywhere except to pack and save. <laughs> so 
Yeah, I mean, that was my experience with that. So that was May of 2021. Yeah, last so year. So it's been just over a, a, year. a year. So a little over a year to mm-hmm. have gone from this. And do you know what the sales are like? Have, do you, have you any idea? Because they had to reprint it pretty early, didn't they? Yeah, it has five reprints. It had five reprints? Yeah. Of, of what, 10,000? Oh, no, 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 no. Not no, that no, many. No. Whoa, it's no, in the this old is days. New Zealand. <laughs> this, is the old, this, is the, this is New Zealand and it's a debut novel. Um, that's but, pretty fabulous, though. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a lot. I, like, I just feel incredibly guilty, like, every time it goes out of print. I just feel like, ah, oh, such a dickhead, like. <laughs> people have bought this book. I don't even know if they like it. They've bought it. I don't know if they are enjoying it. And now... It's out of stock again, and the people have to. It's be Catherine in the Robertson. Shop, be like, oh, we don't have it. <laughs> it's the good bookshop. It's Catherine Robertson thrusting it into all of those papers' <laughs> hands and saying, "You must read it." Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm incredibly grateful to all the booksellers and librarians, but I, I, I just feel so guilty all the time. Like, there's like 400 reserves at Auckland Libraries. I can't like, tell you how many like, they are. They're never going to get it. You're not going to. You're not going to get this book. Like, it's, it's, you're going to have to wait three years, and then <laughs> I'm probably going to be cancelled for some reason by then. <laughs> you're not going to want it. Just, yeah, it just makes me feel bad. Or then the next one comes out, and then everyone wants the first one again. So there'll be another three hundred reserves. Yeah, that's that. I mean, it all sounds terrible to me. I just, <laughs> I don't want to be the this the centre of this issue of. Anything. <laughs> I don't think it's that much to work. <laughs> it's rather wonderful, yeah, really. I think, I, yeah, I guess when you spend a lot of time in your house, you just kind of make everything into <laughs> a huge problem. So there wasn't a launch? You didn't have a launch I party? I did have a launch. You did? I had a launch in Wellington. Um, that, even that was awkward for me. I like got the email being like, oh, okay, so we'll have your launch in Auckland where you live of course. And then I was like, oh, I actually don't think that anyone would come. So can we have it in Wellington? Uh, because I hadn't lived in Auckland for two years at that point. I'd been living in Wellington and had just moved back up. And no one, I had kind of like done this like massive rebrand as a writer. I had like, should I even talk about it? So I had like been, I had been dumped after like five years and then everyone was like, oh, like, you know, how are you? Like, what are you going to do? Like, like, how do you feel and stuff? And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. And then so all my friends were obviously like, ah, oh, um, <laughs> maybe you could get on Tinder. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, move to Wellington and become a novelist. And I had never expressed any interest in books or writing ever to anyone and so they thought I was just losing it and I was I was just remained confident I was like no it's gonna work out I'm gonna um apply for the MA at Vic and yeah hopefully I'll get in and then I'll (laughs) I'm just gonna write this book and then what had you been studying what had you been studying before German literature (laughs) yeah (laughs) languages yeah, um, I did my undergrad in European studies. This is like why people think that I'm Russian. No, they think you're Russian because your character's Russian. Yeah, they write, yeah they, people think I'm Russian because the characters are Russian, but I just know a lot about Europe because I have a degree in it. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I will. 
in the olden times before COVID, I was trying to go to every um, country in Europe, like backpacking. And then I had six left and and then that phase of my life ended. <laughs> Are you going to go back for the other six? Um, I guess so. Some of them I would not travel to at this time right. for obvious reasons. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> everything has kind of happened So you did your European than I expected. studies. You start your, mm-hmm. your undergraduate degree in yeah. European studies and then you did a and German and then I did and German yeah and then I did post grad in and then you moved to German Wellington literature. to become a novelist and just <laughs> and then it worked <laughs> so you must have written something um, of course. so I used to I used to write on my phone I because I didn't feel like confident enough in myself to write on a laptop this tall poppy syndrome in this country um I used to just write on my phone, like, at, like, because I was working in this call centre and I was just crying all the time. I just hated it so much. And then on the lunch break, I would stand outside behind the car park and I would just type these scenes on my phone. And everyone hated me because I didn't come to the lunchroom and hang out. (laughs) So I never got invited to work drinks or anything. Um, And they were always like, what do you do all of lunchtime? And I wasn't Obviously, I was like, oh, yeah, I just go outside and cry because I hate this job so much. And then I write my little stories about my imaginary friends. <laughs> but, yeah, that was what I was doing. I'd never told anyone about it. And then I was like, yeah, I could probably turn this into a book. So that writing was Greta and Velden. And the others. And the others. <laughs> I mean, like, and the other characters in. And Greta and Velden. And who are, yeah, who are now in... Greta and Valden, which like, I consider it to be one book. It's a universe. Of what well, someone I know like horrendously calls the Greta-verse. <laughs> but, yeah, and so I kind of chose to focus on those two characters in order to create a novel that I thought sounded okay in a university application. I'm going to ask Rebecca to read a little, just to introduce these two characters to you. We'll start um, just at, this is just the beginning of the book, or just the beginning of, this is the beginning of the book, um, and it starts with Valden's character, Mm -hmm. and the chapter is called Sender. Okay. Um, I come back to the apartment and find the worst thing in the world. A yellow postcard has been shoved between the door and its frame. This is not a postcard that says something like, I wish you were here with me on the Costa del Sol, or why didn't you tell me the Camino de Santiago was full of slow-moving retirees? This is a postcard that says, card to call. It means that someone has arrived at my apartment with a package after driving through the narrow city streets, probably double parking, and walking up six flights of stairs, and then, seeing as I wasn't there because it was the middle of the day on a Wednesday, and I do have some semblance of a life, has taken the package away again. Now I have to go through the stress of relocating this product in whatever mystery location it happens to be in. I hope it's not Penrose because I don't have a car. I pull the card out and while I'm thinking of a way that I could pass this burden on to someone else, it occurs to me that I haven't ordered anything. Maybe Greta ordered something? She orders a lot of books online and then shouts at me when they arrive. 
She shouts that she knows it's unethical to buy books from big conglomerates, but it's the government's fault that she can't afford to be an ethical consumer because they took away allowances for postgraduate students in 2012. That's her official statement, but I know she just doesn't like the girl who works at the bookshop near our house. Which is a unity Auckland. <laughs> Greta and I were at our uncle's birthday recently, and she had too many Bacardi and lemonades and announced that the girl who works in the bookshop near our house thinks she's better than everyone because she works in a bookshop and has a stupid nightingale tattoo. And, well, Greta has also read Oscar Wilde, so this girl can fuck off. <laughs> I said I think the people at the bookshop are fine, and she told me to go and fuck the happy prince with the rest of them then. I don't like them enough to suggest that we have an orgy with a fictional French statue. Not at this stage, anyway. When I turn the card over and read it properly, I see that it isn't for Greta. It says Vladin, Vladisav, J in big vivid letters. That isn't usually how I spell my name, but I can't prove beyond reasonable doubt that they meant someone else. I painstakingly enter the 12-digit reference code into the Courier website. The package is at the depot on Victoria Street West, which isn't far away, but it's hot, and I want to go inside. I walk back down all the stairs, groaning. I want to sit on my nice new turquoise couch, drinking the sparkling apple juice that's in the fridge, and read my book of Spanish poems. I don't like reading about pain and trauma. I have the Al Jazeera app for that. And at the moment, for personal reasons. I don't like reading things about people being in love with each other either. Greta studies comparative literature, and I can hear her exclaiming things in her room all the time, like, oh my god, this man's just bloody jumped out the window because of hyperinflation. Oh, Jesus Christ, everyone's got cholera because the warning posters are all in Italian. So I did a degree in German and read Death in Venice, and then turned it into this one joke about... <laughs> A book about the beauty of the desert and sea and mountains and other Spanish landscape features avoids such things for the most part. I don't let myself consider going back inside as I leave the apartment building. I have to follow through with everything I plan to do. If I don't, I feel as if I've upset the natural order of things. Sometimes when I think things aren't going as I would like them to, I burst into tears or throw up. It's so bad. It's so embarrassing. I can't handle people cancelling plans with me. This happens, of course. Plans change all the time. I wish I could be chill about things like that. I wish I could receive a message about not wanting to go and see the new remake of Pet Cemetery because it's actually supposed to be really bad, but I can't. I can't just, I just say that I don't mind, but I do, and I go down to event cinema by myself because if I don't, I'll throw up in my just cleaned bathroom sink. Having OCD is so stupid. I wish I had something cool like double joints or purple eyes. I feel as if the, I feel as if the pathways in other people's brains are like well-maintained Department of Conservation hiking trails, while mine are modelled on the dodgiest slides at Waiwera Thermal Resort <laughs> after it was shut down. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And I'll just read this short grid a bit. Yes? Okay. <laughs> um, so the, do you want me to context your yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, context it up. <laughs> so we're just now going to read a little bit introducing Greta. Mm -hmm. And she has a crush on a fellow university worker. She just works at the university, doesn't she? Yeah. She also is oh, she's a PhD student. She, oh, she's a PhD yeah. colleague. And um, and Holly's a bit hot and cold, right? Oh, Holly's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you like her? Anyway, 
sometimes we can't choose who we when have I, a crush on. Yeah, when I mean, in our master's class, everyone was like, you know what, I think Holly's kind of fine. I think Greta got confused, so I just made her worse and worse. I was like, oh, <laughs> there's, there's no confusion to be had here. Um, Holly stands in front of two stacks of poster board with her hands on her hips. How are we going to do this, she asks. How are we going to do what, I ask. It comes out a bit bewildered and suggestive. I have to carry these down to the gallery on Shortland Street, didn't I say? Ah, oh, she definitely did not say that. How far away is that, 850 metres? I'm not sure how many metres, Greta. I pick up half the board straight away. They're A1 and they're heavy as fuck. I have long arms, but they're quite similar to twigs in terms of breadth. Holly surveys me. Are they too heavy? Should I get someone else? No, this is fine. Not a problem at all. She picks up the other boards with minimal effort. She has a much more sustainable or suitable physique for doing things like this. I'm quite good at origami. Should I bring that up? Maybe later. I open the door with my knee and we trundle back to the elevator. I press the button for the ground floor with my knee as well. Holly laughs. Are you trying to show me your dexterity? No. I don't need to prove anything to the likes of you. That's true. I have seen you open a bottle of premixed gin and tonic on the side of a bus shelter. I pause. Then I say, I'm also very good at origami. <laughs> Go on then, she says, looking down at the boards. We're standing close together in the elevator. Our elbows are touching. I can't do it right now. I need zen. Are you saying I'm not zen? I shake my head slightly. You are absolutely not zen. You're ruckus. I'm ruckus. Someone in my stage one tutorial said that. I say, he said Chaucer was ruckus. We step out of the elevator on the first floor and walk, walk through the foyer, past a German receptionist who's always hated me, and through the courtyard. I used to meet my dad after school here on Wednesdays. He would call it his standing Wednesday 3.30 to make me feel important. He would get sushi and coffee. I had hot chips and a blue Powerade. There weren't a lot of options back then. Now there are tacos and crepes and all sorts, sold from inside painted shipping containers. Maybe Holly and I can get crepes after this. We could go to the carpety store and get ice cream. I love ice cream. A couple of weeks ago we went to all four of my top Auckland CBD ice cream locations in one day. My favourite is a blueberry lime and sake flavour from inside the ferry building, even though the girls there always roll their eyes at each other if you take a long time to choose. Holly often chooses the bad flavour, like rum and raisin, or black sesame, but I don't hold that against her. <laughs> so life's quite complicated <laughs> for these characters? Yeah, I guess so. Does, does, Vol does Valden make it more complicated because of his I think, OCD? I think both of them make everything infinitely more complicated than... It needs to be. But I guess in, from my perspective, I, I think that grid was actually worse than making mountains out of molehills and everything. It's just that Valden's like older and he kind of recognises what he's doing or why he's, he is how he is, but Greta doesn't. She thinks that she's normal. And so... <laughs> <laughs> These are not normal people. <laughs> And these characters are brother and sister. Yeah. So there's a sibling relationship going on. Quite an intense one because they live together. Yeah. And, and why do they live together? This is a thing that 
everyone who doesn't live in Auckland or Wellington is like, why do these people live together? Because we can't afford anything else. <laughs> and when you're a weird person, you don't want to live with, you know, eight strangers. Especially, like, when, you're, when you get older. Like, I'm 30 and I don't think that I... I definitely could not afford to go and live by myself somewhere in Auckland or Wellington. But I can't live with a bunch of strangers anymore. It's just... It's, I've, I did that. It was extremely difficult. And I, yeah, I wouldn't and do that again. So it makes sense to me that they would be like, okay, we can tolerate each other. So for financial reasons, <laughs> that's how we'll do things. I think, I think in this, at the time of this book that Valden has a little bit of money because he's got this TV job. So he has enough money to subsidize Greta living in this apartment because he doesn't want her to go and have to live with, you know, a group of people. And I, I don't know, I guess she doesn't want to live with her parents. But she doesn't have a lot of money. No, she has no money. Mm. I mean, everything that about Greta's financial situation in this book is just lifted from the situation I was in when I was writing this book. Where, um, yeah, because you, 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 know, you can't get student allowance for a master's. So I was getting living costs, which was a little bit less than $300 we have to pay it back per week. And the rent and bills was $200. <laughs> and, um, and I was living in this bizarre situation with this lieutenant in the Navy because um, my mom had had this, <laughs> my mom's a primary school teacher and sh this woman had come to teach them how to teach maths or something. And then she was talking about her son lives in Wellington. And then my mom was like, oh, my daughter's moving to Wellington to do this master's. And then she was, this other woman was like, oh, well, my son actually needs some tenants for his house because he's going to Korea with the Navy. And then my mom just messaged me on Facebook being like, do you want to live in this guy's house? And then just sent me some photos of a living room with a beanbag in it. And I was like, where is this? Who lives there? How much does it cost? And she was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but I did end up living there. And so everyone else who lived there was in this sort of like rotating cast of people was from the Navy. It's hilarious because my mum's a primary school teacher too and that's exactly what she would have done. Exactly. <laughs> like, there you go, I've sorted it. <laughs> Do you think it's because they solve problems for little children all the time? <laughs> yeah. you know, they're just so used to it. You're just going to live in this navy house in Karori. That'll be good. <laughs> Karori is quite a nice part of Wellington, though. Yeah, so everyone thought it was bizarre that I lived in Karori for the whole two years. But I was like, I have this rent deal. I can't move to Newtown, pay like two fifty a week and end up with $50 left over just so that I can kind of keep up appearances as like a cool young person. <laughs> who doesn't live in this sort of, like, retirement village vibe sort of place. <laughs> and were you, were you working at the call centre at the same time? No, as so I'd... I'd yeah. um, my contract was not extended at the call centre. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I had gone backpacking after that. This was in 2018. And then I wrote the application for the Masters and everything while I was backpacking. And then came here, came back with like negative five thousand dollars, and was like, "Yikes!" So I was like, you know, I was like eating like one meal a day, and like kind of 
getting these like carrots to like carry up to Karori to try and like this sounds so depressing. I was just, <laughs> you're like I have to like write this. I'm like committed to writing this book. I miss food. I miss the warmth, <laughs> but I live in this damp house and I'm just eating all these carrots. <laughs> and I'm reading like endless tweets about the enormous privilege of the people who go to the IML and how they're in the ivory tower up on the hill and stuff. And I was like, mm. you know, sometimes they give us sushi at events. <laughs> but you persevered, Rebecca. Yeah, I persevered. Obviously, you've got quite a good like work ethic because it's <laughs> in a way if I yeah if I'm committed to something but you're a good student were you were you a good student oh I was a great student I was much much better than I was in undergrad where I didn't really show up to most things um like many you know 19 year olds um but no I was like oh this is like my chance to do something I have to do it properly I don't want to be one of those people who you know, is like focused on other because you get like one chance if you're going to do this masters. Mm. I don't want to be one of the people who's kind of like more focused on work or on like relationships or anything during that time. I'm like, just, I'm only going to do this. And I actually did. I was. I did apply for a lot of jobs, but I didn't get any of them. And one time they were like, "Do you want to work for the police?" No. <laughs> that was my only job offer at my, my time as a, um, a temp. <laughs> it, it must have been really good, though, to be able to ha- just focus on that and not have to worry yeah. about going to work, but even though you didn't have any money. Yeah. This is, <sighs> none of it was ideal except for doing the work, it's like doing the writing. I was like, oh, I love doing the writing. I hate being a Wellington. <laughs> And this then did so you work cold. on Greta and Valden through the MA? Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to finish a manuscript by the end of the year. The by whole November. Thing. Yeah. You start in March and you finish in... You have to hand it in on like the 1st of November or something like that. Wow. So you just... You just... Yeah, like I wasn't doing anything else the whole of that year except typing and dragging myself around. And eating carrots. Eating carrots. And the odd bit of sushi. Odd bit of old sushi. So yeah. the lovely thing about that reading <laughs> was that it um, you introduced us to another character, and so that's the thing I noticed a lot about Greta and Valden. It was um, Greta's dad. Oh right. So Lynch, right? Lynch. You say it because you say it the best. What am I saying? I said Lynch. 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 Yeah, Lynch. I made it up. I, I made up all these people's names, and now I'm the only one who knows how to say them. <laughs> Shall I ask you how to say the last name? Because I already did that, but I can't remember. So can, I mean, I'm not going to try. It's Vladislavievich. Vladislavievich. I got better. You got the you last got time that I tried. So you in- introduced a new mm-hmm. character who is um, Greta and Valden's father. So they have quite a large family. Because yeah. we do include, so they're, they're Russian immigrants. So Greta's father came over with his father and brother yeah. from Russia. Mm-hmm. They immigrated to New Zealand. Well, they yeah. kind of ran away, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they were, they were uh, Cold War refugees. And then I was crying in the Minions movie yesterday. I was like, oh, my God, Gru is this <laughs> 
Cold War refugee. What makes you so interested <laughs> in Russia? What, what, where did the Russian element come into it? I don't know. Oh. I kind of came up with the character of Lynch when I was maybe like 15. Um, I don't know what I was doing then. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Someone had bought me a Russian phrase book for my birthday. And I was just... <laughs> this was in the, you know, this was um, like 2007, maybe. You know, like Zoe Deschanel was really big. Everyone was a quirky girl. And then I w- was weird, so I was, you know, you have the op... <laughs> I don't know if anyone went to school in the 2000s, but if you're a bit weird, you have the choice of being a cat girl who thinks she's a cat or <laughs> a bit more of a quirky girl like Zoe Deschanel. So, you, you know, you go with that. You wear like a polka dot dress if you have to. <laughs> so someone, yeah. gave you a <laughs> someone gave me a Russian <laughs> phrase book. I was like, this is cool. I'm going to make up this Russian character. And that's how it went. And that's how he, how he came about. Yeah. And did he, and so he was the first character in this in this yeah, dynasty. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Of the I think the that's hard name to that I can't say dynasty. This was at a time I used to write in the food court at the at Lynn Mall in New Lynn um, when I was a teenager because uh, like I'm from West Auckland and th- there used to be pretty much no public transport there, so I just. I went to school in Mount Albert and then I would catch a train to my mum's work, but I didn't want to hang out at the work. So I would just sit in the food court and then write in these like $1 notebooks about what I imagined Russian people were up to. (laughs) And did it all come from the phrase book? All of that imagination? A little bit. Yeah. I was, I was like, I was doing French and German at high school as well. And I was like, Oh, like these, these Europeans, they're, they know what's going on. This is, this is interesting. I'm, I want to be like a languages person. I want to know how, you know, what's going on in other places and stuff. So then I started writing about immigrants. And so and Lynch came about. Mm-hmm. He's a lovely character. I, re- I really like Lynch. He's very sweet. Thank you. That means a lot to me. <laughs> oh, um, and you can tell, I mean... Mm. I, it's bizarre because it's like these characters have already been, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. I can tell that you've been writing them for years because yeah. they sort of, they, they don't sort of come, sorry, my mic's, oh, it's come back. Um, they don't sort of come fresh to this book. It feels like they've no, been around. I don't, I have no idea how people manage to do that. You know, people, there are people in this world who are putting novels out like every <laughs> second year with completely new characters and settings and everything. I like, ah. Oh. It takes me like 10 years to think of like one idea. <laughs> but Lynch married a, so he immigrated with his brother and his mm-hmm. father from Russia, ran away, Cold War refugees, and then he met Betty. Yeah. How did they meet? Do you know? I'm trying to write this book about it. Um, this is a spicy detail. Um, <laughs> Uh oh! No, sp- we don't. You don't have to tell us. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's five pages long, so <laughs> not, not much to spoil. But they um they met they met at university, like through mutual friends. <laughs> so n- not exciting. I could have made anything up. Like oh yeah, it's mutual friends. <laughs> 
But, because, yeah. yeah. No, you go ahead. No, I don't know. They just liked each other. And it's interesting because did I hear somewhere that you started writing their story before you wrote Gretchen Valden's story? So yeah, and then I had Dungeon to age Beatty. them up. Yeah. Because one thing that I really got from this book is that I felt like your generations, like you were sort of, you had, I mean, I don't know what age, what age do you think Betty and Lynch are? Maybe 50s? Yeah, they're not, yeah. they're not that old. Well, it's kind of like everyone talks to each other just like they're the same, the same age. Like there's no kind of, which I really love, you know, I really love. It's mm. respectful, you know. Like they're it, kind of, yeah, I guess they're, I think to me in a way they're not really of an age. Of a time. Partially because I've been writing them for so long that it would feel strange to me to write like super modern. And I, you know, I talk how I talk, so it's not, it's not, I'm not, um, I'm not having to think like, oh, all of the things I say are so modern, I'd better not include this kind of vocabulary mm-hmm. in case it like dates the book or anything. They just, they just exist and then I've kind of had to put them in the world. Sometimes I feel weird when they have like technology and stuff. There's that lovely scene where Valden has to go and help. Um, who does he have to help with his laptop? Oh, Tony. He has to have Tony with his to laptop. Help Tony his uncle. With his laptop, yeah. I think that's really sweet. And he knocks on the door, and um, Tony's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, uh, "You asked me to come around and help you with your laptop." Yeah, and he doesn't remember because <laughs> there's drama afoot. <laughs> Secret. <laughs> Uh, Dave Lowe, I'm actually a climate scientist, but more recently a um, award-winning book author. So what's been your experience of the book fest, and, and you know, what, what do you think people get out from, of this sort of event? Um, yeah, I think it's wonderfully run uh, by a bunch of very dedicated and passionate people. Um, I've learned heaps, I've absolutely loved it, and I'd certainly come back to another festival like this. Yeah, you just learn the thoughts and feelings of so many of New Zealand's top authors. Um, we've just heard from Lloyd Jones, for example, and you just you're going into a like a different world, a different space, learning things that you never really thought about before. It's incredible. Good on um, Blenheim Marlborough for putting on an event like this. Fantastic. I do love the you know the relationship. Uh, the messy relationships. I found that. Oh, yeah, I love writing a messy relationship. It's so much better than doing it. <laughs> I mean, you could just write anything. You just write, like, oh, then I mean, everyone's having this horrible affair and it's great. <laughs> but what's kind of good about it is everyone, I mean, the, some of the people know and, and they're okay with it. You know, like they're... Yeah. they're because there's some very messy relationships going on. Yeah. And I don't want, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's a, there's family that are. They're not incestuous. No, they're not incestuous. <laughs> Do you want to explain the little family dynamic with Casper and um, with the, um, with the uncle and the boyfriend, the uncle and his, and his partner, who's also. How? Oh, okay. So. The best friend's. The this, this situation is like this. Um, <laughs> so Lynch has a brother called Tony, and Tony is married to this man called Giuseppe. 
But Lynch's wife, Betty, who's the mother of Greta and Valden, went out with Giuseppe when she was younger. And some characters kind of know about this and some don't. Mm. Greta does not. Um, and then so that there's a kind of like, what's going on sort of? Is this relationship kind of rekindled? Who knows about that? Who has a problem with that and who doesn't? Kind of thing. And their sexuality seems to be so fluid. Like it doesn't seem to be... I'm gay or I'm straight. It oh, seems you mean, to be, yeah, you don't want to. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I wonder if it was some sort of Auckland utopia. <laughs> I mean, it sounded fabulous. It was I mean, pretty. <laughs> sometimes I just, I just forget that people are straight. Until like, uh, you know, I'm like looking at Facebook and then all these like girls I went to school with are like, I love my hubby. <laughs> Happy anniversary, babe. And they've, they've got like a toddler. And they live in Hamilton because they can't afford to live in Auckland anymore. And I'm like, this is this yeah. is not something that I want to write about. Mm. <laughs> but you know, but I love that world. Nice. I love that your yeah. world sounds fantastic. It sounds like you know where everyone's accepting it, and it's not just um, sexuality. Yeah, it's all any any kind of difference is is, is yeah. Cool. I think that you know, like there is sort of conflict in the narrative and people kind of coming up against things but I just like I was like I don't want to write this book where people are like oh I'm I'm gay and it pains me like <laughs> and my dad hates me and so I was like oh, I just, I want to write about all this other stuff so I don't <laughs> I don't have time to do with that but do you think it's thing. a society we're moving past that I think so yeah but now like because people don't want to write about covid a lot of people uh. are writing about the past and then they kind of have to come up against that you know like obviously homophobia is was was a lot worse before you know even like five years ago so you just have to write otherwise it would just be it would feel like disingenuous to not talk about that so much but yeah I'm like trying to write set in 1986 at the moment which is before I was born and I just have to google like every single Thing. I was like, it was, I was like mentioning polystyrene boxes, and I was like, did, did people have polystyrene then? <laughs> yes, they did. They did. Yeah, well, it turned out polystyrene was invented in the 1800s, so. Now you know. But I think, yeah, writing a second book, you just, writing a first book, you're like, oh, maybe this will never get published, no one's going to see it. The second book, you're like, oh, they're going to hate that in newsroom. Like, <laughs> better get my polystyrene facts straight. But as a fiction writer, we've talked a little bit about this in my book club. Um, as a fiction writer, can't you just say what you want? Can't you just say that polystyrene was You can say whatever you want, but people are going to give you attitude, uh, like, mm. pretty much no matter what you write, but you don't want to invite it like, too much. You want to get your facts straight. Yeah, just get the facts straight, and then they can be like, oh, it's... Oh, I hate millennials. <laughs> you can just go with that kind of angle instead. In your book, people have called this an Auckland novel. Do you think it is? Oh, in know, a good way. It is a, or I in think, a bad way. I think that is an Auckland, in a good way, it's an Auckland novel. And I wanted it to be like that. I was not in Auckland when I wrote it. Some people were like, mm. this isn't a fiction novel. 
this girl is walking around the streets and just writing down what she sees in her little notebook and just getting it published and stuff. And I was like, well, I wasn't in Auckland. <laughs> yes, I had to look at the Google map sometimes. But um, I think that, you know, it's in Auckland, but it's also um, it's in Wellington a little bit and it's in Buenos Aires and it's in Colombia. And a lot of it kind of takes place in people's houses, which obviously are not real. Well, they're invented locations. Um, so, yeah, I like that it's an Auckland novel. I just don't like it when people are like, oh, yeah, it won't make any sense if you were born outside of Auckland or anything. I'm like, don't, don't tell the people that. Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to uh, get this published internationally at the moment, so I don't... <laughs> There is a lot of New Zealand, New Zealand <laughs> references, though, isn't there? Mm. Like, yeah, but I think that's like that's something that's interesting to me because I was like, when I was writing it, I was like, I'm putting too many references to seventies German music in this book, and no one's going to get it. <laughs> but I think that when you read something, you just pick up what you understand, and then you don't have to be like, oh, I don't know who Spider Murphy Gang are. I hate this book. <laughs> It just flies over your head and you just keep being like, well, there's a lot of New Zealand references. I remember watching McDonald's Young Entertainers. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think about that. Oh, hilarious. And so I love the scene in Wellington with the GPS. Oh, that, oh sorry. There's a fabulous scene in Rebecca's book. Which, oh, I should have got you to read that bit. Sorry. <laughs> so I don't have a GPS tracker on my phone, but apparently you can get GPS trackers and they're walking through Wellington Bush and it's, I think it's those sort of evocations of those places yeah. that people are talking about when they're calling it an Auckland novel. Yeah. Or, a, or, you know, like it's, I mean, it's definitely New Zealand. I love place, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, like, and you can tell you've, you've lived those streets. I mean, mm. you can tell that you've been in all those places in yeah. Auckland. Because you talk about them all. Yeah, the thing with the the GPS is that in the in the scene that um, Greta's lost, and then she kind of looks in this Find My Friends app to like see if there's like, anyone around who can help her, and then her ex happens to be walking up the road, and so she contacts him. And then it, later in the book, it's kind of revealed that their dad like looks where they are on Find My Friends all the time. But I wrote that um, I wrote that because my mum looks where I am on Find My Friends all the time instead of messaging me. So, like, every day she's like, well, I just, I'll be like, why didn't you, like, oh, you didn't, like, see my message that, you know, we needed this thing from the supermarket, I'm cooking the dinner or whatever. And she was like, oh, well, I looked on Find My Friends when I left work. You were at the mall, so I didn't need to deal with you. <laughs> or, like, when I, when I like, because um, I have to go away a lot at the moment, um, she never messages me saying, like, did you get your flight all right? Like, do you um, need me to pick you up or anything? She just sees that I've left <laughs> Wellington Airport and then just goes, just arrives at Auckland Airport and waits, which is, like, nice. But sometimes I'm like, this is, you know, we're living in a dystopian future where <laughs> I'm 30 years old and I've been tracked by my mother. Seriously. <laughs> That's why I don't have that on my phone, because I know my mum would do the same. Well yeah, well, yeah, my friend first made me get it um, because I went, I went to Australia and I was going to be spending time with people I didn't, hadn't met before in person. And she was like, well, you've got to get the fire, my friends, and we'll be checking where you are. 
That's how it all started. Were you quite young when you travelled, when you travelled over in Europe? Because you're quite young now, so you must have been quite very Uh, young. I wasn't. What is youth? Um, (laughs) I I lived in Germany for a year when I was 22. Um, We did a lot of things that year. And then when I was backpacking, I was like 27. And did you No, except, yeah, when I, I had to write 20 pages for this university application and I hadn't done any and I kept being like, oh, I'm, I'll do it when I get to Kosovo. Like, what was I thinking? Like, um, and then so I had to write it in the hallway of this Greek hostel because I was running out of time. It was the last day. I was just like, I, just, I can write 20 pages. That's fine. And then all these people kept walking past me and being like, oh, are you working remote? Are you... They called it like they're like, oh, are you a digital nomad? And I was just saying yes. Sorry, I think my oh, mic's not working now. Working. I, I was like, like going to start asking questions. First, I was like Madonna. Out. Now I'm like, I don't know who has a handheld Katy Perry. I mean, me at the last festival I went to, we were. This is you. We were <laughs> holding our minds. This isn't working either, though. No, I think it's okay. Yes, Can everyone it's hear working. Me? I wanted to ask because there's a lot of sort of dialogue-driven narrative in this book, which I love, and it's hilarious. I want to know why you wrote a book and why you didn't write, like, for screen or for It's because TV. I hate working with other people. Ah. <laughs> I, um, and you have to do that when you're Yeah, when you're so when I, was, when I was 18, I enrolled in um, the Bachelor of Performing and Screen Arts at Unitech. Every, pretty much everyone who was in the acting part of that course is now on TV all the time. Like all the people on Seven Days and stuff. They're a great program if anyone is a teen actor. Um, but I was in the, yeah, I was, I was supposed to be in writing and directing and then they kind of changed the course to just screen production, which was a lot of kind of like planning budgets and getting coffees and this kind of stuff. And I was like, this course is costing like $10,000 a year. I don't want to work on a film set. I just want to, I had gone in there wanting to write plays. So I just dropped out and then I was like, okay, well I'll just go back to German language then. (laughs) But yeah, I was, I um, like, even when I was a child, I was like, Oh, I want to be a playwright. But now I'm like, oh, you know, I just had this negative experience and now I'm like, oh, I don't want to be with all the people and the <laughs> run sheet and the applying for CNZ funding and you're like getting made fun of by the taxpayers union. But when they approach you <laughs> to write the screen, the script oh, for someone this, else. Will, you, will you write it? I don't know. It could be a play. It doesn't have to be a film, but a film will make you more money. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, one of my personal issues is that I'm like not motivated by money and then everyone's always like annoyed at me for <laughs> not pursuing any sort of financial gain or Sorry, sending in invoices or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I love, yeah, I love theatre. I've been thinking I love theatre because. Um, someone in our group chat recently saw a play and then messaged us saying, I don't think theatre should exist as a form, <laughs> which was wild. And then I, and then I like realised in my heart that I love theatre. 
I'd seen the play too. It was amazing. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a theater maker anymore. Where, yeah, when I was, when I was a teenager, I was, you know, I was in all the plays at school. I was obsessed with Shakespeare. I played um, Aaron in um, Titus Andronicus, which is a villain character. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about that for a long time. I'm just getting a little conscious of the time. I'm trying to see what it is because we're both wanting to see what it is. Um, I would really like you to read Cake. Okay. Should I, just, should I just read it really fast? No one wants that. <laughs> I'll just read when it properly. When I asked Rebecca to read this um, chapter, she said, why do you want it? It's so sad. And I said, it's my melancholy nature. Um, the would, book is yeah. really funny, but there are some really poignant moments, um, particularly to do with the relationship between um, between the two siblings. Have you got it? Do you want me to tell you the... Yeah, what page is it? I I'll find it. Cake. It's on page 228. Okay. Okay. And just a little bit of context. So... Um, so Valden, um, I love this about this book is that Valden is in love and he um, he magically, like like it is like magic, um, finds himself being able to see his um, his ex again. And um, he is in Argentina and he's supposed and he's and he's reconnected with this um, love and he's supposed to be coming home on the plane. And um, and Greta, being the little sister, is. Um, can't wait for him to get, get home. Okay. <laughs> Today is the day that V is coming back, and I see it as an opportunity for a cultural reset for me personally. Things have not been going well for me. My not knowing what I want to do after I finish my master's has turned into an issue. I can't stop worrying about it. I stay up all night doing government careers aptitude tests that tell me I'm best suited to being, being an actor or playwright. True. The job opportunities are described as poor and the pay starts at zero. I can't retrain as a lawyer because I've used up my lifetime limit on student loans. I can't be a viral internet sensation because I'm over 25. I've eaten 400 pieces of sushi and nothing else. When V comes back, he can buy me hot chips and a Mexican Coke and we can talk about his problems instead of mine. I want to see him so much. His stupid too tall presence in our house built for normal sized people. I think that's what's going to make me feel better. I check my bank balance and I have $7.49. I use this to buy cream cheese, two bananas, and two loose eggs from a superette I know that sells them like that. I need to buy milk as well. I can't afford a whole bottle, so I get a little UHT card in with a straw. I don't want to pay for a paper bag, so I shovel these things in the pockets of my coat. Except for the eggs, which I carry carefully in my hands all the way back to the apartment building, all the way up the stairs. Then I start making a cake. I love baking cakes. It's one of the things I feel I'm truly good at, and I like it when people eat all the slices and give me compliments. For a brief moment, I consider monetizing this hobby, but then I can't conceive of being a small business owner. It would put me amongst the groups of people portrayed by the media in a positive light. It's probably easier if I stay as one of the people who everyone complains about because they've got no money, no land, no prospects, and they never go to the dentist or buy serviettes. I put the dry ingredients, flour, sugar, baking soda, baking powder and salt into a plastic bowl. We don't have stainless steel because V doesn't like the texture. 
I create a well in the middle and add the banana, which I've mashed up with a fork, the milk, the butter, and the eggs. I like cracking the eggs. I tap them once firmly against the bench and then pull the shells apart over the bowl, letting the yolk and white fall out in one motion. After it's all mixed together, I pour the batter evenly into a round cake tin and put it in the oven at 180. Then I set about cleaning the house. I vacuum, I mop, I wipe down surfaces. I shake the rug out the window like I'm in a film that depicts the old country. I go into V's room and check the photos on my phone so that I'm sure everything's back to how it was before I went through his stuff. I smell the backs of my hands to make sure I smell like my hand cream and not his much more expensive one. V feels almost as uncomfortable as, about expensive things as I do, but this all goes out the window when it comes to skincare. I wipe down all the leaves of the plant so they look shiny. I straighten the cushions on the couch. When the smell of my cake starts to fill the kitchen, I open the oven door and test the cake with a bamboo skewer. It comes out clean. I leave the cake to cool on the bench while I check that the flight is on time, which it is. I wish I could go and pick V up, but the bus from the airport stops close to our house, so he'll be okay. I put on the album Bridge Over Troubled Water and make sure to skip the first track, Bridge Over Troubled Water, because it's really just not a good song compared to the rest of them. I mix the softened cream cheese with icing sugar and butter and I ice the cake. It would be nice if it had a caramel layer as well, but caramel is difficult to make. The temperature needs to be just right and then it's hard to clean the pot afterwards. I would just go and buy a jar of dulce de leche, but I don't have any money now and V probably has some ridiculous romantic memory about it which he might cry over and pretend he's not crying. I put the cake on a nice plate and leave it in the middle of the table. Then I start waiting. I read some articles about Paul Simon. I read about boarding schools for girls outside New York. I look up what Paris Hilton looks like these days. I send a screenshot of a bad article about Yetis to Elle, but she hasn't been online for four hours. I look at photos of people who I went to school with. Oh, I told you much, too much about my real life. Some of whom have babies now and share memes about having a lot of laundry to do. And some of whom are fitness influencers. A lot of the other girls from my form class are lawyers and policy analysts and doctoral researchers enjoying a summer picnic in a London park. I look at the cheese in one picture and I can almost taste it. I wish I could afford cheese. These girls have a whole assortment of cheeses and a bottle of sparkling rosé. What should we have for dinner? I'll let V choose. He'll have missed something very specific. As long as he pays. He'll pay. He wouldn't let me starve. I watch a video about how to keep your hair blonde all summer. It's winter and my hair is black. The plane will have landed by now. I look on find my friends, but V's phone has been off for a long time. I thought they would have had Wi-Fi on the plane, but maybe not. Maybe it wasn't working properly. I figure out how long it would take for the bus, and then I add an extra half an hour in case he got held up at customs. He probably got held up at customs. They're going to hear South America and start searching all his bags for drugs. I wonder if he got me a present. I don't want to get my hopes up in case he didn't, but that would be nice. Even just something from Duty Free. Another half an hour passes and another. I look out the window and watch the streetlights come on. Less families and groups of teenagers walk past and there are more people dressed up, going out for dinner, probably going to shows and things. A middle-aged woman with a dark tan and a sequined dress laughs as she nearly loses her stiletto in a grating and holds on to a man's suit-jacketed arm while she pulls it out again. A guy goes past on a longboard looking at his phone and vaping. The longboard has a light under it, and it's interesting that he's partially concerned about safety. Another half an hour passes, and the median age of the people on the street drops. People get louder and seem like they're having more fun. They sit under outdoor heaters, drinking glasses of wine and sharing polenta chips. I look at my phone again. No messages. I look at Instagram, and there's a new post from V's show account, which he made me follow. 
It's a picture of a group of white creatives looking exhausted but hydrated at the airport. We made it back to Aotearoa safe and sound, bar one, eye roll emoji, laughing emoji, get back soon, we need you. I look at my cake. I go into V's room, sit on his bed, open his top drawer, reach to the back and pull out a Ziploc bag of coins. I take a handful and go to buy myself a Wendy's value meal. And that Wendy's is shut down. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's Queen Street, huge issue. <laughs> and he didn't come home. He didn't come home. He was making out with some older man. <laughs> he was in love. I'm just conscious of the time and I'd really like to open the floor for, um, I'm sure you've all got some, um, some questions for Rebecca. Just got a mic over here, and if you do want to ask a question, um, you might want to take your uh, mask down a little bit so you can. This is very basic, but we were just wondering which six European countries you still had to go. <laughs> Ireland, Ukraine, um, Moldova, where Lynch is from. I was actually supposed to go there, but it was a minus 17 degrees and I went to Cyprus instead. Um, ah, no. Um, Andorra. That's for... This is just something that I used to like rattle off the top of my head all the time and now I don't know anymore. Belarus is hard to get a visa, but I am, I'm a UK citizen, so that's fine. And one other one. Oh, I don't remember. It's probably somewhere weird. Or somewhere normal. Yeah, I don't know. There's another one. I was just wondering what you're doing now, um, if you're working on another book. Yeah, like, so I, I was like, I was like, people are going to stop being interested in this book, and then I will be left alone, and then I'll write this new book. But what happened instead was that people started to be beginning to think that I might be interested in being a journalist. And I was like, well, I don't have any money. It turns out I'm not a good journalist because I don't, I'm very anxious and I hate emailing. I don't even look at my own emails. Mikey has to read them for me because I just panic. Um, uh, yeah. And then, so I was like, oh, I can like, I can write some of this nonfiction and yeah, and then so that's been the last six months realizing that I'm bad at being a journalist. I don't have a natural curiosity about current events. Um, yeah, I have an essay coming out on the spin-off this Sunday. <laughs> so it's about um, it's about uh, it's a very Auckland concept of being a commuter child, where I think well, like you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it was, like, seen as, like, the good schools were in central Auckland and that's where you had to send your children even if they, that was, like, what, that was, like, something that you could do for your children was to get them into one of these schools. And then, uh, you know, me and many other children would spend, like, hours a day on the train to, like, go and get our education. Now I kind of think that that's, like, a problematic view of things, that there are good areas and bad areas and, like, good schools and bad schools. And just to put in that, uh, Rebecca has also done another essay for stuff, the Shortland Street essay. You uh, must <laughs> go and read this 
essay. Yeah, I also wrote an essay, but I'm yeah, I'm fine with personal essays. I cannot interview. Someone. And she says she's not a poet, but the poem that you put in that essay is it's a, very funny. I think that it seems bizarre, but it's like it's. I think a lot of the writers who are you know like on the scene like in Wellington are poets. It's like a big big poet place. And then there's like five kind of keep to themselves novelists. And then I like love singing. So I had kind of infiltrated this poet world because they go to karaoke all the time. But they're always like, oh, you novelists hate us poets and you never read a single poem. And you're like, I've bought all of your books. I go to all of your readings, not just because I think that there might be opportunities to sing afterwards. But yeah, I can't. I can't identify as a poet. I, I don't have that feeling of oppression on me. Jolton <laughs> <laughs> Street, you say. Um, do you find it weird how like, um, there's you've produced something with absolutely no apology, like, and I love that. But then like, there's this. Maybe it's a millennial thing. I don't know. But there's kind of this like thing of apology that also exists. Like, do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> no, yeah. I just... Um, mm. Do you mean, like, that people feel like they should feel bad for what they're doing? Sorry, I can't see you probably. No, I just think that you've written something with, you know, unapologetically, and it, it seems great. And I just wonder about... Um, the sense of uh, sort of having to explain oneself mm. outside of that. And sometimes it comes with like caveats of, sorry, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. Like I, I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel like apologetic about this book. I don't think that I should have done something differently. Am I... Uh, I don't know if this really links to the question, but my perspective on, um, you know, a lot of things that come up a lot in literary dialogue about writing about trauma or, like, um, depicting, like, certain experiences or of, like, oppression or of race or anything. I think that that as many depictions need to exist as possible and it's not one author's responsibility to kind of convey how things are for all people. Um, and even, you know, when people write things that I don't like, I don't think that, oh, this shouldn't exist. Or, you know, people write things that I find to be problematic. I, I don't think this shouldn't exist. I think that more things should exist to, like, encompass, like, this, um, like, you know, this extraordinary amount of, like, diverse worldviews and experiences of everything yeah so I'm like well this is my one book you know sometimes people are like I hate this book because everyone's so rich that's not the way things really are and everyone goes to Europe all the time and I'm like well you know my perspective is that this sh <laughs> there should be allowed to be books where people are Maori but they've still been to Europe but, you know, whatever, dude, like, one-star it if you want to. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah, and even, like, you know, 
I think when I wrote this book, I made the character's parents like own a house, which is not my reality. But it's just, I think at some point it just becomes too difficult to write in this really entrenched poverty into a, a story that you kind of want to write about relationships. You don't want to be like, and also they are worried about being evicted from their house. Like you don't want to kind of add all of these elements into a story. I don't think that. And I actually love that about your writing, Rebecca, is that you you wrote beautiful houses. You did the house in Argentina. Because I think that would be really nice. <laughs> I know, that's what I mean. Like, you can do that because it's come out of your imagination. Like, that, I, yeah, I was, beautiful houses. I was living in my damp Navy house and being like, wouldn't it be nice to have a couch? <laughs> I will give it to my characters as a gift. Are there any more questions? Um, so I noticed that in this book and, you know, a lot of people refer to this as like a romance book, but there's actually like an unconventional element to it in that, you know, one of the key romances in it, it occurs like with one of the main parties absent throughout most of the novel. And like, likewise, in that scene that you read out just at the end, um, you know, that love that's depicted between Greta and Valden is Mm -hmm. depicted through absence. Is there a reason that you chose to sort of make the romances or the, the loves occur with that kind of absence or? I guess, I guess in, in love, like the time when you're most able to think about it, you know, as the first person novel is when you're apart, like that's when the reflection occurs and, yeah, I guess that's when you can like truly see how things are. And maybe you don't get that so much if you're together and having to like, you know, do the mundane sort of things that you just have to do because you're a person, even if you're in love. Um, But yeah, I guess like to me, that's where the kind of clarity of thought comes in for the characters is when they're not with these other people especially like even when Greta's in love with Holly in the beginning she when they're together it's not a nice time at all Holly sucks (laughs) she's sarcastic she's always drinking whiskey and reading naked lunch uh but you know in Greta's head like everything's like really different and I think that that I guess that's a key element with V and Shabi is that um V thinks that maybe V has no idea what Shabi is doing and then he like kind of creates these like elaborate situations where he's like, oh, Shabi's going to be at this office and the office is white and the chairs are going to be green and there's going to be a woman and she's opening the window and then he's going to have this lunch meeting and this person he's meeting with is really going to like him and want to go to a movie with him afterwards and stuff. And this is just completely fabricated and in reality Shabi's like sitting in this gray house by himself with this painting he doesn't like. They're just waiting for something to happen because he feels like he's lost his love and that everything was his fault. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm interested in characters' perspectives of what they think other people are doing when they're not with them. And yeah, in first person, like just having like a lot of space on the page to like write about what people are kind of reflecting about. Now I'm writing third person, it's terrible. <laughs> It's not that bad. I don't hate myself. (laughs) Rebecca K. Riley, you're a natural writer. You have a gift for dialogue and making the mundane absolutely hilarious. Greta and Volden is like nothing I've ever read before. 
all of you need to go and buy it and thrust it into people's hands even as they're just walking by. But don't start reading it yet because you'll lock yourself in your room and you've got another whole day of festival tomorrow. So (laughs) come back tomorrow. Rebecca is going to be available to um, sign her books out in the foyer. Um, But I'd just like to say thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's such a nice festival. They pick you up at the airport and everything. (laughs) And take you back for your mates. At my last appearance, they were furious at me that I hadn't prepared a reading and then the person said, why can't you just read some poems off your phone? And I was like, because I'm not a poet. (laughs) And then I threw up, so this is... This has gone. This has gone amazingly. <laughs> we love you, Rebecca. Please Thank come you. back. That was a great conversation from the 2022 Marlborough Book Festival. For more information about the event, head to marlboroughbookfest.co.nz. Thanks for listening.